What a time to be able to worship the Lord and welcome those who are watching us online as well. And this Labor Day weekend, it is, uh, we're kind of moving, inching our way back to whatever the new normal is. That's where we're heading, okay? Again, we're still trying to all figure out what new normal looks like. But even as a church, we're inching our way back there. Next Sunday, every Sunday hereafter, we're just going to have to learn to live with COVID and be as wise as we can along the way. Let me tell you something that happened in my life. In April, it was 35 years ago. 35 years ago, this kind of something sparked inside of me, and a relationship was born, and there was this beautiful young girl about that tall, because I know she still comes up to my armpit, uh, and her name is Lori, and we started dating in high school, and we were high school sweethearts, and it started then, and for 35 years minus one, we have been together. Now, I have to emphasize this. Go ahead. So, there's, a, there's a round of applause due there for Lori, at least, uh, hanging in there with me. But um, the 35 years ago, and minus one, I have to say that in there, because one year she broke up with me. It was in college, all right? So she thought there might be better options out there, and so she thought she would explore that. Now, she's not here today, so this is my story, and I'm sticking to it, and you can verify all this with her. So literally, the week after we broke up, she goes on a date with another guy. She calls me when she gets back, says, he's not like you. I said, yes, you're now learning the secret sauce. There's no one like me. But anyway, a year later, it takes us a year and a month because it was in September of our freshman year in, in college. And then it was in October when we were walking the mall on our university campus back and forth from the library to the chapel in front of the fountain. And it was back and forth for probably an hour and a half. And we just talked about how we have been out, we've checked everything else out out there, and we realize that we are made for each other, and we came back together. But we needed that year. My freshman year was a tough year for me. It was a different year for her. It was tough in her own rights. We needed the year apart because here's what happened in that year is absence makes the heart grow fonder. We realized that we really could not be without each other. And so when we got back together at that point, we said, listen, no more breaking up, no more of this kind of drama stuff. We're in it to win it. We're in it to the very end. And we have been in it ever since. And so it'll be 30 years this December uh, that we've been uh, married. But that phrase of absence makes the heart grow fonder has never been more true in my life than in that moment. In that season of time, because I would try to meet this other person or I would go to this other place and I would always be looking for where is Lori and she would be looking for me. So she says uh, at the same time. So we're kind of in this hunt, but we're realizing that we've already been found and it's absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, that was a, an intentional breakup that happened our freshman year. It feels like it. Now, again, metaphor as it may be, all things, all metaphors fall apart eventually, but it feels like we have been into a forced breakup for the past six months. I don't know about you, but it feels like that we've been forced apart, separated, and all we've had were pixels to look at. Maybe a text, maybe a phone call, uh, maybe through a mask if you might see someone, but then you, you know, so it's been like this forced separation. 
and it's not been fun. And I am an introvert and has, doesn't have to have a ton of interaction with people, but it has been incredibly hard because of, I think, what I think is what Kurt Thomas, Thompson calls it, is this relational disintegration that has happened. It has slipped in and we have drifted apart, so we say, or we haven't been together to pour into each other. And this, this, this separation has happened. And what, has ha- what the realization is, we were made for people, not for pixels. We are made for one another's, okay? And this has been never more true because everyone's zoomed out. But I was talking to a kindergarten teacher just following the first service. Lori Bedeen t- shared with me with this that at the end of last year, she had her kindergarten class and she said she would have students holding their Chrome notebook and squeezing it, kissing her screen, wanting to kiss her, crying because they couldn't be with their teacher. Listen, the virus may kill us, but you know what else may kill us? is isolation. And being apart is not a healthy thing. And being separated. So somehow we got to figure out this tension and this balance because we were made for relationships. So we're going to come back together and we're going to be a biblical community centered around the one another's. Because you can't, in pixel relationship, do the one another's very well. You can't easily confess your sins to one another. You can't pray for one another. You can't encourage one You can do it, but it's never the same. You can't exhort one another. All of the 58 one another's, we need to be able to do those in community, in relationship, building with one another. I've enjoyed just a few times of us being back, okay? Uh, and just the people I met, I met Christine who walked in a few Sundays ago, walked in. I could tell it was her first Sunday. She had that kind of walk in the door. Where do I go next? Kind of look. And so it's kind of a dead giveaway. And, um, and so I go up to her and I meet her and she said, she moved here during COVID. And she said, I know nobody. And so it's so good to be able to be one of the first people that she meets in Northwest Arkansas, a, a family from New Jersey. Uh, I think right here. All right, good. I met them last time we were together. They moved here from New Jersey. I'm telling, I'm talking about you guys. And so anyway, so good to have new family and faces. Okay. The, the Coon family, maybe you've met the Coon. I hadn't met the Coon until the last service and they have just moved here from living international. They moved here during COVID. Again, horrible time to be moving, right? Uh, to be moving into the, into an area to try to make relationships with people. But I got to meet the Coon family for the very first time. I had a friend of mine who, uh, high school, friend of mine has been watching us online, Corey, and he's been watching us online and came to a f- gathering, hadn't seen him for 30 years. So if, even in the midst of this chaos and the crisis and the whatever, what we have got to do is figure out how we can be the church, be the church in the midst of COVID and not wait for COVID to just magically go away. Have you met the Wagners? Right up there. Uh, okay, all right, new family, uh, small group leaders, uh, Lusk family. I think you're in the room somewhere. I don't know if you were in uh, maybe the last gathering, but the Lusk family leading our children's team. And so we've got new pastors. We've got new people. We've got new things going on uh, around the church. I hope that you will just lean into the relationship side as whatever degree of sensitivity you have, lean into the relationships because here's what I've learned. Nothing's going to replace that. 
We've done, we're in this, in this whole uh, period of, of shutdown, if you will, we've gone a lot of introspection. We've tried to do a reboot on the church. So uh, allow me just a few moments to kind of talk about the reboot. You know what a reboot on your phone is? You know, when you get 30, 40, 50 apps open on your phone and you only use three or four of them? Well, it's kind of like the rest of them are draining the battery down on the phone. Well, what we've tried to do in this season is do a reboot. Shut the phone down, reboot it, do some selective uh, uh, of, uh, I, uh, what was the, what was, what was the phrase? I, I forgot it. Selective abandoning the past. So we've intentionally kind of said, okay, we're not going to do that moving into the future, kind of a reboot. So some of that reboot has been around even our pastoral team. And we have a new kind of structure, if you will. Uh, I think it'll pop up on the screen here. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Uh, there it is. Uh, and so around our pastoral team and our leadership of, of this. So you might look at the guys on the right, Andrew, Nathan, and Caleb as kind of an executive team uh, that are around me that we are, are helping to lead the church together. And it's a very intentional pathway that hopefully in time will make a, a little bit more sense to you. But Andrew, as you'll see him, not up on stage as much uh, as Tater's kind of stepping into that role. And Andrew kind of stepped into our uh, digital church pastor role and he's kind of continued to lead that. So you think about first connections from the sites to the seats, that's going to be Andrew's kind of domain where he's going to be functioning and leading, a, uh, leading his team in that area. And then we got Nathan, who's leading team as well and leading uh, a group of people in our community, connecting with one another. And what does it mean to go from just I'm on the outside looking in to I'm on the inside, a part of the family. And so that's where Nathan's going to be leading us. And then we got Caleb, who's been with us, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten years. I don't know how long. And uh, he's still leading our international side, but also how do we live sent right here in Northwest Arkansas? And we've tried to do that over the season uh, that we have been separated. So thank you for your generosity. It's enabled us, and there's so many ways that you've been able to do. One of those things that we've been able to do is we've gone through a remodel physically as well, okay? There's been a physical remodel of our student center. Our children have needed new space for a number of times. Your generosity has helped make that happen. And this is a renovation that's going on right now. Won't be open next week when we reopen our kids' ministry, but it's in process. Again, because of your generosity, things like this happen. Because of your generosity, we were able to love our community well over the past six months, whether it's teacher gifts or, or uh, 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 hospital staff serving them or uh, nursing home staff serving them. We have tried to, as many ways, look for, had brainstorming sessions. How can we love our community well? We even had two things go on this past week. One of those is that we sent a team down to Louisiana to help with a clean out and down there. And you can see big Sully uh, carrying a tree off. Uh, that, uh, that's what that's what Jeremy does. He carries trees around. And so um, cleaning up houses that have been uh, uh, affected, but also we were able to love on our local police officers and just say, hey, we support you. We believe in you. We, we, we think you're doing the right and the good thing and all of the, the, the city uh, of Bentonville. So guys and gals, even though we couldn't come to church, it didn't mean we couldn't be the church. In fact, it's forced us into focus on being the church so that hopefully now that we come back to church, we will be better at being the church. So let's not give up what we picked up. 
Let's, not, let's, let's selectively abandon some of the past and let's move into the future. Again, your generosity has helped to make so much of this happen. Thank you for the ways that you've given. Now, here's the thing. As you give to the church, as you serve in the church, as you come to the church, you've got to realize this, that the church is not my idea. I don't think I could have come up with this idea. The church is not Paul's idea or Peter's idea, okay? It was Jesus' idea. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16. Now, the context of this is that Jesus is literally six months from going to the cross. And in this story that we're going to look at today, we're going to see where Jesus gives his exit strategy. He gives his succession plan, and it is around the concept of the church. Now, the way he does this is he does this with the most ragtag group of people you can imagine. He does it with a mourning mother. He does it with a, uh, with a, uh, with a, a couple of cousins and brothers. He does it with some uh, far right-wing individual who is a sympathizer to Rome and a far left-wing individual who is a zealot against the Roman government. And he brings them together. He brings a former prostitute together. He brings a, a hard-working Martha together. And he says, oh, by the way, you're going to carry out what I started. You're going to keep going while I'm starting. So think about the collectiveness of this room, the collectiveness of Grace Point, and how God has called us together to be the church. And what does that look like? So we're going to read the very first time of about 90 times following that the word church or ecclesia in the Greek will appear in the New Testament. We're going to look at the very first time. So when Jesus introduces this, we're looking at that. And I'm going to ask our deacons, speaking of our leadership, I'm going to ask our deacons so you can get to know them uh, to read our passage of Scripture today. So listen in. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So I want to reboot your mind for just a moment on the word church, okay? And if you had never heard the word church and you have no concept of what church means and that's what you've got is what they just read to you from Matthew 16, what do you land on? You land on a concept that God introduces, that Jesus introduces to them, and he literally, listen in this concept, in this construct, he literally hands them the keys, gives them the authority, and gives them his mission. His mission, the very reason he came. He gives them a keys, he gives them his authority, he gives them his mission, and then he says, oh, by the way, I'm out of here. In six months, six months he goes to the cross. Fifty days later, he ascends into heaven. Or actually, he goes to the cross. He resur he's resurrected three days later. And then he ascends into heaven. Peace out. I'm out of here. I'm leaving it with you. 
and that leaving it with them was leaving it with the church. So again, this is not my concept as we reimagine our church. Let's reimagine it according to the way God originally imagined it. So when we talk about originally imagined, let's think about what are the timeless, timeless elements of a church. I don't care if you're in China or you're in Indonesia or you're in, or you're in Southern Africa or you are in the first century or you're in the 21st century. What are timeless qualities that need to be a part of a church, of God's collective body? Here it is. Number one is that Jesus's church knows God. All right? Jesus's church knows God. Now, the, the deacons just read the passage of Scripture, and what do they start with? Jesus starts with a question. Hey, who does everyone say that I am? What's the popular opinion out there? What if Gallup was alive today? What would he say they say about me? That's basically the question. What do people say? Well, okay, they're all over the page, Jesus. And so look at the passage here in verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 14. He says, and they, and they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Basically, they did not know who you were. They didn't have a bucket for you. They just knew that you were incredibly, incredibly something spiritual and supernatural. And so we got to figure you out, Jesus. And so they're trying to figure him out. But then I don't think Jesus really, really cared one iota about what everyone thinks about them. He turns and he gets really personal. And he says this, who do you say that I am? I think the first question was only a precursor to the second question or was a primer to the second question to tee them up, to get really personal and to say, but who do you say that I am? And I love Simon Peter and his response here. Now listen to this. There is absolutely, positively no ambiguity in who he says Jesus is. Simon Peter answered and said or replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I want you to say that with me. Read it with me out loud. But I want you to read it as if you're Peter and you are absolutely confident about who he is. So it's not like, you are the Christ. Okay, read it with me, with enthusiasm. Are you ready? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, he puts a stake in the ground. Everyone else is confused. I'm not confused, Jesus. And he literally says, you're the Christ. That means basically you're the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one that we've been looking for, longing for. The prophets have been forecasting that you would be coming. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. So not only are you the one we've been waiting for, you are of divine nature. Basically, it's the first declaration, the first theological statement that's put in in pen and ink about who Jesus was. It wasn't 300 years after Jesus' life on earth that we decided who Jesus was, as some people have espoused, but it was Peter on that day who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Why do I make such an emphasis on this? Timeless truth, number one, about a church is Jesus' church knows God. They know who God is, and Jesus is God. Their theology is set in stone. Theology is a fancy word or big word for the study of God. Their theology, listen to this, informs or precedes their doxology. Doxology is the word for worship. So basically, 
I know who Jesus is, and because I know who Jesus is, I am going to declare, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to acknowledge you. Worship means basically to ascribe worth to. So his theology informed his doxology. The beautiful thing about that is that's exactly what we want to be as a church. When people are a part of our doxology, our worship experience, we want them to hear emphatically from this stage, emphatically from the Word of God, emphatically from every song that we sing, who Jesus is and how. We, we don't have 52 messages a year. We have one message that we're going to share 52 different ways. And we're going to point every time back to Jesus. Now notice that when Paul is helping the church, the early church in Colossae, as he does also in Ephesians, a very similar, almost redundant, almost copies, the, uh, copies and pastes the same text. But I want you to notice and count as many ways as you can that Jesus or Paul says that we are to worship We are to worship him. We are to acknowledge him. We are to understand who he is and our theology shaping our doxology. Chapter 3, verse 16, follow along. Let the message about Christ. It's about Jesus and Jesus only. About Christ in all the richness. Jesus is more than a meek and mild baby born in a manger. Jesus is more than just your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to help steer your life, guide your life, give you something to pursue in life. And not only that, he wants to fill your life. Let the message of Christ in all its riches fill your lives. Now, here's what we do. How do we do it? We do it through teaching. We do it through counsel with each other. This is why I say we're made for people, not for pixels. We need others in our life. We need each other's in our life. We need to be with each other. And what are we going to do when we get together? We're going to teach and we're going to counsel. We're going to guide people through the Word of God. And notice this, what it does is it leads to your doxology. See, your theology always precedes your doxology. And singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with a thankful heart. I love it when David, in his own, in his own words, when he was writing about going up into, into Jerusalem, the Psalms of Ascent, there's an entire section of the book of Psalms from Psalm uh, chapter 120 uh, to chapter 134 are what we call the Psalms of Ascent, where he talks about ascending into Jerusalem to worship. Notice the anticipation and the excitement in his voice when you read Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He was excited about going to worship. Our theology of whoing, knowing who God is must be the foundation for everything else. And when we come to this day, it's a special day, and we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper or communion, as some might call it. And maybe you grabbed your little cup and wafer set, COVID approved, um, all packaged up neatly together. Maybe you grabbed it on your way in. If you didn't, you can get up at any time and go grab one if you are a follower of Christ. And here in a few moments at the end of our gathering, we're going to worship together by observing this. And what this is, is this is a a meal, a, a representation that brings us back to the fullness and the beauty and the power of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus today, and the Jesus of fullness and the Jesus of, uh, th- that you can sing about and the Jesus that fills your life with richness. You don't know that Jesus? My friends, it's as easy as you accepting and receiving him today.
you as crying out right now in your seat where you're at and just saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. You might even not even know what to pray, and you might pray the words of Peter. Peter's words were, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus, I give my life to you, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just declare it out to him, and then we invite you to join us. Why do I say it's that easy? Because John chapter 1, verse 12 says it's that easy. Read it with me. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who believed, read it with me, but all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Believe and accept. Believe and accept, and you become the child of God. A church... Throughout the ages, throughout the lands, throughout the geopolitical systems of the world, a church in its timelessness knows God. Number two, it loves people. Mirror, I told you that Jesus in the matter of six months is going to the cross. In a matter of seven months, he's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to give his exit strategy and his succession plan right here in this passage. And the way he does it is he draws on a Greek word. He draws on the word church. Again, the disciples had heard that word from the Greek culture since Alexander the Great in the great uh, classic Greek era. That word ekklesia was known. If you go to the city of Athens today, just opposite, just west of the, the, the temple Nike, which is just down from the Parthenon, you'll find this grassy knoll of land just up from the Agora, and you'll find the place that is called the ekklesia. There's not a single building there today. Because the ecclesia is where the people of the city were to come, the leaders. See, democracy was born in the city of Athens. The word church is the Greek word ecclesia, which ek meaning out from, exit. We get the word exit from that, ek, out, kaleo, which is to call out, kaleo, ek, call out from. So basically a church is a group of people called out from, What they would do in the city of Athens is they would gather around and they would have church, the called out ones from the city, and they would make decisions for the good of the city. Remember, democracy was born there. Basically, it was the first house of representation. Why am I saying all that? Jesus said, I will build my church, my version of what a church is supposed to be. A called out group of people who are called out to come together called out of the world, called out of the busyness, called out of the fray, called out of the noise, come out of the chatter, called out, come together. This is why you can't do church in a deer stand. I love deer, okay? Uh, why you can't do church in a boat, you know, by yourself, okay? You, you, you got to do church in collective. You're called out from to be together. And when we come together, We hopefully enrich and strengthen and enable one another. God calls us out to bring us together. What happens when we come together? Romans chapter 15 verse 19 gives us one example. It says, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Would you like to have a group of people in your life that share a common call in the name of Jesus, that are called out from the world, that are in your life, that are speaking peace into your life, that are building up your life in a mutual relationship in your life. 
What about a family? Do you have a healthy family? Maybe it's a dysfunctional family or whatever. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he says that you may know how one ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. So Paul's writing young Timothy, who's pastoring the church at Ephesus, and he's saying, this is how a family operates. So a church is a called out group called together. A church in Jesus' time and in our time, they know who God is. They, they love people because they're connected to them, and they live sent. I started this whole message with when Jesus was going to leave, what is he going to do? He's going to give us the keys, he's going to give us his authority, and he's going to give us his mission. He sends us out into this big, bad world. Now, everything about that, you got to realize Satan is going to counter us. He's going to fight against us. He's going to push against us. He doesn't want you knowing God, okay? The first mark of a church, he doesn't want you knowing God. So how is he going to do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this world blinded the minds of unbelievers. He's going to blind your mind. Where you don't hear, where you won't receive, where where you reject, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Basically, they're going to try to keep you from knowing who God is. That's exactly what Satan's going to try to do. Second thing Satan's going to try to do is he's going to try to keep you from loving people. Listen, whether it's COVID or race, racial conversations or political divides or uh, relational disintegration or, or changes in the church, there have been a lot of things that could create a disharmony in the church. That's all a part of God's, that's all a part of Satan's big strategy. He wants to destroy us, divide us, disarm us, and distract us. How's he going to do it? I don't know. He's going to do it any way he can. He wants to still kill and destroy, John chapter 10, 10 says. He wants to kill, still, and destroy. Let me just be real frank with you here, okay? We're family, or we're working on that whole relationship thing. thing. Uh, the past six months has not been easy. <laughs> not been easy for me, as I know I, I'm not looking for sympathy, because I know it hasn't been easy for you. It hasn't been easy for me and us and all of us in so many ways. One of those has just been a number of changes. You can take just questions about pastoral leadership changes that we've, that we've experienced and how disruptive, he, even though every single one was prayed over, sought God over, uh, was looking for the betterment of the church, the betterment of the individual, and, 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 and it was one of those that we've seen a number of transitions as God has worked and moved. All I can say is what Satan wants to dest- destroy is he wants to destroy trust. He will steal it. He will kill it. He will destroy the trust. Doubts. If he can create doubts. And man, I tell you what, the doubts uh, in whether or not the leadership did the right thing on canceling church or moving church online and, or not, it, it's incredible how this piece of cloth can cause such division. A piece of cloth. But yet it will divide homes and people in ways that create doubt and wonder? I don't know. Is that a mask-wearing church or not a mask-wearing church? Can I go there or not? Again, everything Satan can do, he's going to be a thief and he's going to steal, he's going to kill, he's going to destroy. The backlash that we've experienced in emails and lost families over 
trying to understand the pain that maybe a group of people in our nation has gone through in the past months has done more, probably more than anything, whenever I would say something like a Black Lives Matter, not supporting a movement, but supporting a human being, creates division. I'm sorry. It's incredible. And that what Satan wants to do is to kill, steal, and destroy. And what you do, Satan has got a perfect situation. Let's, let's isolate everyone. Let's pull everyone apart. Let's put them in their homes. Let's keep them away from each other. Let's create some relational disintegration here. And all of a sudden, let's throw in a bunch of mess. How do we handle this as a church? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. When dissension comes, go for the peace. Find the peace. Find the common ground. Bring, bring it back together because Satan wants to keep us from knowing God. He wants to keep us from loving people, and he wants to keep us from living sin. Living sin is whenever we're showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. When you look at verse 18 and 19, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God can remove the blinders off people's eyes so that they can know God. God can keep us unified as a church despite all the things that are trying to pull us apart. God can, can, can actually give us the keys to his kingdom, his authority, his mission, and he can send us out. And he'll say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Basically, you invest in what I'm investing in, and it will be eternal forever and ever. Amen. My friends, it's not easy in this time for any of us. But if we are going to be the church of Christ... If we are going to be the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, we've got to know God. And God is in Jesus and Jesus only. And we've got to love people despite our idiosyncrasies, despite our political differences. Loving people through the seasons that we're in is critical. And never stop living sent as God has called us. I want us to take a moment and just have some time of reflection in your seats. If you didn't pick up a, a, a communion cups, then you can go there during this time. But I'm going to pray, and we're just going to give some time where the instruments will just play in the background. This is your time to be still before the Lord and ask the question, do I know God? Is there anything keeping me from loving people? Is there anything keeping me from living sent? as God has called me into this world. This is your space and time. Father God, speak to us. Speak to us. Unite us. Draw us to you and draw us together. And Lord, if there's anything standing between us, Us and you, Lord, may we bring it to you. 
or if there's anything standing between us and our brother or sister in the faith, in this church, bring us back together. You know, in preparing for this day, um, I've been looking forward to a lot of things, but I think probably one of the things that just I was incredibly excited about was this time together right here, around this cup and around this wafer. I know if you've been in church a long time, you've had a lot of wafers and you've had a lot of cups, but there was something about it today This is a meal that from its inception was shared with the followers of Jesus. And it was the meal that he said that whenever I go away, you keep doing it. And as often as you do it, he even gave us instructions about it. But here's another thing, is when I started looking back at 1 Corinthians 11, and I started reading the context of it, The church at Corinth was an incredibly divided church. It wasn't over COVID. It it wasn't over Republicans or Democrats. We don't actually know what all it was over. They had a lot of things going on. They were just a hot mess. In fact, the way the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11, it says that when you come together, your meetings do more harm than good. Now, how would you like that to be the reputation? When somebody says they want to be a part of a New Testament church, Say, is that the church at Corinth? Because I don't want to be a part of that church. That was a mess. But what he does immediately after talking about all the mess that they're in, all the division that they're facing, what does he do? He brings them to this meal. And he points them to this cup. And he points them to this bread. As the unifying element to the whole thing. So I want us to read this passage today. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24. And again, if you haven't separated out, there's two sections. You might take that wafer and just kind of hold it in your hand. It says, "For For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
So as he took the bread, and again, this symbolizes the body of Christ, the, the God entering into time, entering into space, entering into limitations, entering into it all. He enters into this, puts on flesh, so that as in first, as, as in John 1, 14 says, that we could behold the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. That's how you see God. He says he took the bread and he gave thanks. Father God, we come before you with this bread in hand and we say thank you for the life that you lived, the teachings that you gave, the sacrifice, that you, the example you've, you, you set for us, the fact that you entered into time and space and flesh to be among us. God comes to us. What a story of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to us. In Jesus' name, amen. And they ate. The second element is the cup. It says, in the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this, in the church of Corinth, was the unifying, sanctifying element that that. Paul made sure that they centered themselves around. There's a lot that can divide us, but there's Jesus who unites us. Let's let him be the unifying element. Let's let his cross, let's let his blood, because without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sin. It would have been much better just to take Jesus as a good example, but it took Jesus dying for us. Father, we thank you for your blood. By your stripes, we are healed. You took our place on the cross. You paid a debt you did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price so that we could be in relationship with you first, knowing God, so we could be in relationship with others, loving people, so that we can live sent to tell the world that they need to know the Jesus that we know. Lord, we bless you and we thank you that we get to declare who you are to this very day by taking this meal. In Jesus' name, amen. And they drank. It says on the night when Jesus was with his disciples and they observed this meal for the very first time, that they actually stood up and they sang as they were going out. So what an appropriate way for us today as well to remember Jesus. Let's stand and let's worship him.